Hey guys, Jason Clark here. I just finished interviewing Randall Worley. Incredible. I'll tell you about that in a second. But as you might notice, Thomas isn't here with me today. Unfortunately, he wasn't well and uh, had to call off on this, our last podcast of the season. He had uh, what we thought might be COVID. Thankfully, it wasn't, but uh, he wasn't able to join us. A few thoughts I wanted to share with you as we close out this season. I wish Thomas was with me, but I'll speak on his behalf. This has been an incredible journey, this podcast. um, And we've had incredible people on here um, from so many different streams. It's been so encouraging for us. So Thomas and I are so grateful for you guys coming on the journey with us. The reason we've decided to call this the first season is Thomas has launched his own practice. It's called Inward Counseling. You actually can look him up online, inwardcounselingllc.com. And that's, uh, and that's Thomas's practice. And, and uh, so he's fully engaged in that for the next month to two. And then I had a couple of projects, a book I'm writing for someone that has a deadline I'm pushing hard against and a couple other things I needed to focus on. But we're very keen on picking up again in October, uh, early November and diving in once again to the goodness of God together. We've already lined up some guests for the second season, excited about that. And if you wanna go back and revisit the first season, you can actually go to afamilystory.org, which is our ministry, Karen and mine. And that's where we host all of this content. If you sign up for the mailing list, uh, we release weekly articles and let you know when there's uh, books coming out. And then of course, all the podcasts are hosted there as well. One last thought. I'd mentioned that I want to have my dad on here, and uh, that's still a plan. We'll probably try and do something in the next weeks. If I have it, I'll upload it, and we'll just tag it on to the end of season one. Otherwise, he'll be a part of season two. Uh, Lloyd Clark has also uh, got plenty of articles on a Family Stories website, so you can find him there. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Randall Worley. Randall Worley. Oh man, we've been talking about having Randall on the podcast since we first sat down and we're going through the names of people, dream names. Uh, I first heard Randall speak over 10 years ago, uh, connected with Bethel. I think Randall's um, pretty unique because he's able to travel in so many different streams. you know, he's got such a grace on his life. He's such a brilliant communicator. And he's in uh, so many different wisdom. places. And he's able to take you from point A to point B in a way that just makes sense. There's so much life and grace on his words. In this podcast, we dive into uh, a book that is actually available on Randall's website. We'll have a link to it uh, at A Family Story. Uh, but it's called Questioning My Answers, a Manifesto for Spiritual Searchers. What I loved about Randall and what I appreciate about this Uh, this book is uh, that Randall is wide open to questions. There's no question off the table. Uh, It's a safe place. He's a safe place, and this is a safe place to to be able to dive into the nature of God. But in this podcast, we talk about being able to question your answers, being open uh, like a child to um, what Randall calls a beginner's mind. He wants to have a beginner's mind. That Jesus told the disciples that unless you become like a child, and unless you convert and become like a child, you can't have any access to the kingdom. Uh, so we talk about being able to ask the big questions, and that led to what it what it is to be a pioneer, or what it is to to go first, to maybe find yourself off the map, and and to find yourself in waters that that um, people would refer to as heretical. We talked about the word heretic, and uh, I really appreciated uh, this phrase from Randall. He said, if it's causing you to love God more, love yourself more, and love people more, it's the truth, even if it's offensive to people. We talked about language and how important language is and how you can't ever uh, describe God using mere language because we are creatures with finite tongues trying to uh, interpret the infinite. That God's love is measureless. Uh, we dove into Scripture and how to approach Scripture, and we talked about that. That's one of my favorite subjects, and we so we dove into that. And we talked about mystery. We talked about how to embrace mystery, how to live in mystery, how it is one of the most important pieces 
of faith, if you will. Faith is actually not about certainty. It's about living convinced he's good in the mystery. This is the close of season one. And it's been an amazing season. And, and Thomas, even though he's not here, I can speak on his behalf. We're both thrilled we've done this. And uh, this has been incredibly encouraging for us and uh, something that we definitely want to continue to do. Anyway, this is the last podcast of the season. Uh, so I just pray that you're blessed. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. And without further ado, this is Randall Worley. I was reading through... Uh, the manifesto, uh, questioning my answers beginning of the week and reminded uh, how much I love you and appreciate you. And I think the first time I heard you speak was um, connected to Bethel in some way. Yeah, I've, I've been going out there for over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, and so it, I've been thankful for you. And um, uh, man, I was reading this manifesto, questioning my answers, a manifesto, I'm going to read this, a manifesto functions as both a statement of principles and a bold, sometimes rebellious call to action. I love that rebellious, by the way, like, <laughs> by causing people to evaluate the gap between uh, those principles that are current reality, uh, the manifesto challenges assumptions and provokes change. Yeah. And this podcast is called Rethinking God, uh, but it's Rethinking God from a Foundation. I know that you go after creating space for people to ask questions, mm -hmm. for people to rethink and to, for people to reimagine. And um, for me, there's this foundational place that I start from, and I'd be curious if you speak to it. I, for me, the foundation is that he's good. And if the foundation is God is good, then, then every question you ask is going to lead to transformation, is going to lead to life. Right. And is, that, is that what you're speaking to? Yeah, uh, in so many different ways. Uh, even our definition or our connotation of the word good yeah. needs to be reevaluated uh, because so much of our understanding of goodness is extremely limited. Um, you know, sometimes uh, when I am groping for language, yeah. I am reminded, and people who have been in any of the meetings that I speak in, they uh, have heard me reference this particular refrain that comes from a hymn, the love of God. And not only is the language, I think, in this particular refrain reflective of what I'm trying to say, but the origin, the person that's responsible for these lyrics is interesting as well but it says could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade wow. to write the love of god above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky now now that is beautiful to me yeah and I think it expresses the indescribable, ineffable nature of God's love and his goodness. I mentioned that this particular lyric was actually discovered in a cell in an insane asylum. Uh, a man who had occupied that cell, who had been committed there, determined to be insane, died. And when they wow. removed his body, they found that scribbled on the walls. Wow. And you know, that, that made the lyric even more powerful for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand the limits of our language. And yeah. so I get what people mean when they talk about the goodness of God. Yeah. But even in that, we're, we're approaching it, I believe, in a, in a very moralistic way. Yeah. Uh, we're approaching it um, in a way that does just does not do it justice, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, in a dualistic way, a good and evil approach. Is that what you're addressing? Yeah, yeah, because the human ego is has this insatiable need to want to quantify things. Yeah. Yeah. To measure things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To know its limits. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, the reason why that particular lyric, when, when I read it many years ago, it was indelibly imprinted in my psyche was because I began to realize, I'm trying to remember now, it escapes me. One of the early church fathers said that creation was God's original language. In other words, wow. before men began to try to describe him, yeah. his yeah. creation. And, and, you know, Paul sums that up in Romans 1 when he said, the invisible things of God are clearly seen from his creation, being understood by the things that are made. And so, wow. yeah, I, you know, I... I find myself getting really nervous around people that are so confidently, um, and I understand uh, yeah. why the motives, but are so confidently thinking that their language is adequate in describing God <laughs> in all of his essence. And I don't mean for this to sound trite, some, some shallow cliche, yeah. but whenever you define something, if you can define it, you automatically have confined it as well. Wow, yeah. And so that that's where I've been for a long time. Jason, I've been doing this 42 years. Wow. And I, I can tell you now, the reason why I wrote that manifesto, there was a, a friend of mine who was a progressive thinker. He's actually uh, educated in the area of, of, of being a futurist. His name is Mike Morell. Yeah, and Mike... Mike encouraged me about, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe longer, because in conversation with him, he, he recognized that while I had great respect for my tradition, and I want to make that clear, people, you yeah. know, if they go to our website, they can download the manifesto for free. Yeah. Um, and, and I have great respect for my heritage, for my roots. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have great respect for some of the more contemporary voices in my particular tribe. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for us to understand that there are a whole host of people and it's not just millennials. It's not just an emerging generation. There's a whole right. host of people yeah. out there. And I encounter them either online or in person that are recognizing that the answers that they have been given up to this point are about as satisfying as offering a hungry man a toothpick. Yeah. Oh, and man. so I, I feel like it's really important for us to remain curious and to know that God is not insecure. He's not defensive when we raise hard questions. I've been saying this for a long time. If we're afraid of the answer, we'll never ask the hard questions. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how, how much you want me to roll here. You, you, uh, go as, you go as deep as you want. I'm, yes, I'm cheering you on. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's something that is uniquely different about Protestantism in, in, in particular and the, Jew, the Orthodox Jewish community, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, Western Christianity... Uh, thrives on certainty. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the great progressive thinkers of our time right now made this statement some time ago. He said that the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Richard Rohr. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't know whether I could drop that name. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but at any rate, um, I, you know, I've always subscribed to this. If everybody's saying the same thing, then it's obvious that somebody's not thinking. And so I made, a, a, I started to make a reference to one of the many distinctions between uh, evangelicalism, Protestantism, whatever, and the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, in the, in specifically the Orthodox Jewish community, they celebrate questions. Um, maybe you've heard this old rabbinical saying that between two rabbis, there's at least three opinions. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been in that room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love and, that. And of course, another thing that is widely held in the Orthodox Jewish community among the rabbinical um, community is that the Torah itself has 70 different faces. And what does that mean? What, you know, that sounds wow. rather obscure. Yeah. Right. In essence, my takeaway from that is that the Torah itself, the first five books of the Bible, have has at least 70 different facets to it. And so, you know, I, I was raised in a tradition 
that studied the scripture to prove what it already believed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Looking for proof text. Right. That's right. Oh, uh, and and so in my twenties, that's been forty over forty years ago. Yeah. I I would was just not satisfied. And I I'm I'm just gonna say this and I don't mean for it to sound like, you know, a hard volley over the net or anything like that. But I've always had somewhat of somewhat of a nonconformist gene. <laughs> yeah, I've recognized too. that for over forty years. Yeah, it's and a little lonely, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it can be painful. You know, yeah. it re- yeah. it really can be lonely. Yeah, but you know, I begin to resonate with this new grid, this new mindset, this new paradigm, whatever you might want to call sure. it. Sure. And I and I realized that, for example. Uh, if if you were born in an Orthodox Jewish home, yeah, when you come home from school, your parents would never ask you what you've learned today. They would right. ask you, "Did you ask good questions today?" Wow, wow. And see, I think that we've made a serious error in thinking that it's our responsibilities yeah. as communicators yeah. to teach people what to think instead of teaching them how to think. So good. Whew. So, so, so important. And I I repeat what I said earlier. Uh, I got this from David Dark, who writes the book, The Sacredness of Questioning Everything. Yeah. That uh, any God that is somehow offended by our questions is not God at all. (laughs) Because he invites it. That's it. Uh, Brian Brian McLaren, and this gets me in trouble. Brian is a friend of mine. Uh, but Brian, awesome. Brian said a long time ago, he sums everything up here that I'm trying to say, that clarity is overrated and intrigue is underestimated. So That's the truth. I, yeah. And I think right now more than ever before that there are people that, that are tired of just going along to get along. Yeah. And, and they realize, you know, that if they raise their questions and they possibly will be ostracized, there's no yeah. forum for questions. Yeah. Yeah. But I personally have always loved progressive thinkers that challenge everything I've thought to be true. Yeah. I really do because they are consistently revealing my unperceived biases. There is no such thing as unbiased thought. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And it may sound strange to some of your listeners, but I actually um, am at a place right now and have been for a long time that I love it when I discover I've been wrong about something because it means <laughs> I'm still learning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was just editing um, a podcast that we released today by Katie Skurja. She's a counselor. and She made a statement. If we're not constantly discovering something new about God, we're stuck. Yeah. You know, I got saved when I was five, um, grew up with wonderful traditions. And, and I you actually, I'm going to quote you here. It wasn't that what I had known was inaccurate or irrelevant. It was just incomplete. And right. that really captures my journey. And, uh, and, you know, I wrote the book about the sovereignty of God. And I wrote at the very beginning of, of that, I said, listen, I'm trying to describe an infinite revelation with a finite tongue. Like yeah. I'm trying to, to, to highlight something that is measureless uh, with very measured words and that they will not, they will not capture, but maybe yeah. they'll introduce us into something new. So I had somebody call me the other day, they were reading this book on the sovereignty of God and they'd only made it halfway through and they called me and they were very upset. And I've had this happen several times mm-hmm. and it didn't help that I started to laugh uh, when they were sharing their, their frustration. Uh, but I knew what was happening. They were looking for a mathematical equation and had made it halfway through my book and realized that I wasn't giving them a mathematical equation. They wanted two plus two to equal four so they could get their answer and they could move on with life. And the whole book is an invitation into this measureless place where it's, it's about quantum physics, if you will. So I'm rambling on now. I want to get to the next question. You, you actually made this statement from Seth Godin uh, from his book, we need you to lead us. It said heretics are the new leaders. Yeah. I think the problem has to do with the definition or the connotation of a heretic. Uh, I was having this conversation with uh, Mark Sharona back in February. Uh, I was doing a a video with him uh, for his Issachar initiative. And and Mark and I have a long history together, almost 30 years. 
and, and I referenced what you just said. And he very lovingly and respectfully paused and he said, well, now wait a minute, Randall, when you use the word heretic, yeah. you're not talking about the orthodox definition of heresy. I said, yeah. no, no, not at all. There are certain things that are non-negotiable. Right. Uh, there are some things that are essential. But there have been a lot of things, in my opinion, that we have made completely essential, which are not at all. They're, they're very, very negotiable. So many, many years ago, um, you know, I found myself coming under a lot of criticism and people were, you know, in, in the way that we put it today, people were thinking that I had gotten out in the weeds and I was on the fringe and I was sure. going to walk off the map and yeah, which I'm totally comfortable with sure. walking off the map. Sure. Um, you were because, built for it. Yeah. Well, T.S. Eliot, you know, summed it up for me. He said, it's only those who risk going too far that will ever discover how far they can go. Yeah. And, and so that was very helpful for me, just that one soundbite. And so I've continued to take those risks and, and I don't mean that in a prideful way um, because, and you've probably heard me say this sometimes when I know I'm getting ready to say it. Um, I've said it so much until it, 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 I, I wonder if it's mundane to others, but for whatever reason, probably 35, 40 years ago, God chose to give me a greater faith to receive revelation than a fear of being deceived. And That's I, don't, I don't, I don't believe that God is going to deceive me. And if it, Hey, here's something that just comes to me. Um, back to the word heretic first though. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was hearing these, these rumors that I was in heresy and I, you know, at first I was a little offended by it and I decided I'd revisit the word heresy or heretic. And yeah. this is how Godin is referring to it, not in the Orthodox sense, but a heretic is somebody who thinks differently than the norm. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, that, that sounds to me like they're not really criticizing me. They're actually complimenting. Me. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'll cite this from the manifesto. Um, <laughs> think about this. Uh, many of the heroes of the evangelical world, Augustine. Yeah. Martin yeah. Luther. Yeah. John Calvin. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. John Wesley, they all held beliefs that would be shocking if most people knew them. Yeah. Like, for example, are many of them believed that the Bible contained errors. Many of them rejected the literal reading of the creation story, belief wow. in purgatory, questioned yeah. the literal existence of hell, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Now, these are the people that have been venerated by most evangelical Christians, but if they knew some of their their thoughts about these things, then they probably would burn their books. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just think that there needs to be some intellectual humility demonstrated right now more than ever before, where we, at, we become aware of the limitations of what we have known. And you, you quoted it out of the manifesto. It's not that what we have been taught in the past is inaccurate. Right. But it yeah. is incomplete. I mean, I test this all the time when I go to meetings, especially when the, the host is asking me, you know, to move people a little further down the road. Yeah. I ask people the question, how many of you in this audience adamantly believe certain things right now that at one time you didn't believe? Yeah. And most, uh, I almost get a hundred percent response. Yeah. Yeah. And I followed up with another question. Well, does that mean that uh, it's possible that there are other things that you could come to understand in the future that now you are convinced is an error. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. So here's here's my litmus test, and I I, I know you're interviewing me, and I I don't I don't mean to dominate the conversation. I, that's what we want. <laughs> I well, want to hear from you. So I had I had some concern for myself when this first started several years ago. And, you know, I was before the Lord and asking him, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be deceived. Yeah. I, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want just for shock value uh, to get up and say things that, right. are, you yeah. know, is going to leave people uh, wavering in their faith. And so I was in the book of Matthew one day 
And this was the litmus test that the Lord gave me. When Jesus was asked the question, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees are always trying to entrap him. Yeah. And this is a classic example. They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he, you know, they weren't asking about which of the 10. Yeah. They were speaking of 614. Sure, sure, yeah. And, and so Jesus, in all of his brilliance, and that's a lame way of putting it and call him a brilliant. Right. Jesus said that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, because on these two hang all the law of the prophets. Right. And that's when I realized, and I hope it's helpful for anybody that's listening to this, if they feel like that they may be getting too far out there on the edge, if whatever you are discovering is causing you, first of all, to love God more, because yeah. that's what Jesus said, yeah. love yourself more, yeah. and love other people more, because that sequence is very important, yeah. and it's truth. If it causes you to love God more, love yourself more, and love other people more, it's truth. I love that. That is, there's a balance in there because I've met a lot of people who love God more, but it isn't partnered with loving people more. Right. And, and next thing you know, they're swinging swords on behalf sure. of their love for God as a, and of course it gets distorted. Yeah. Well, see this, this could sound heretical to a lot of people, um, but you can't love God any more than you love yourself. Yeah. You know, I came yep. up in a tradition that, that and I, I'm still, uh, there's some vestiges of it in me. I came up in a tradition that was very legalistic and um, promoted unwittingly self-loathing. Yeah. You know, yeah, me too. And, yeah. and they would play, play the card from, uh, what is it, Romans, that says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we are. Yeah. Taking it totally out of context. And our love for ourselves is a direct reflection of our love for God because God is the source of all love to begin with. That's it. That's right. Yeah. 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 And your love is revival. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for just a minute so I can invite you to partner with us by giving to a family story. A family story is a 501, a nonprofit, and it's our ministry. And it's what allows for me to produce this podcast and other regular content. We've been living this faith journey for a long time, but 2014 was when we officially stepped away from the traditional pastoring approach to full-time ministry. It's been fun, this journey's been wild. And this last year was no less faith-inducing with COVID affecting travel and speaking. And it's been good, because hey, we started a podcast. Our passion is to create content catalytic for an encounter with the always good, transforming, reconciling love of our Heavenly Father. And so our heart through this ministry has always been that through speaking, writing, film, and music, we're relentlessly sharing the goodness of our Father, the good news. Your giving goes directly to support this podcast, as well as written content, discipleship content, teaching small group messages, articles that we release weekly, and also the book I'm writing. I'm excited about what I'm chasing down right now. We appreciate all the support, whether it's sharing, writing a review, following us, signing up for our email list, or financially. We just love being on the journey with you. If you want to give to A Family Story, you can go to afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org, and click on the Give button. All right, thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. is our podcast i mean this is what we're running after and uh, i i'm a pioneer myself so there's been definitely lonely seasons and and it's a funny thing what you've just said because and 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 i appreciate how you approached it i i I maybe haven't put language around it yet but i i've never been worried um, that i'm often left field um in a in a in a in a way that would be be um well, you've just redefined heretical. So maybe I have been heretical. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, well, Jesus but, was considered a heretic. Sure. Yeah. I'm in good company. We have a phrase that I, I won't leave. It's God is love. His love is always good. He looks like Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything for me is built there. And the Rosetta Stone scripture would be in 1 John 4, where, where, we, mm-hmm. where we discover that we love because 
he first loved. Yes. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, or strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself is, is only actually available to those who are growing daily more aware of his great affection for us. Mm-hmm. And so for me, often uh, I'll say something that I know is potentially offensive, but I also understand that I am rooted and established in love and that if I introduced this thought, if I introduce this thought into the room, um, there's life in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Jesus was even accused of casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. Um, and, and a guy I know years ago said that men don't crucify you for what you say, but for what they thought you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and case in point, you know, when Jesus walks out of the temple, the centerpiece of their, their religious system, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Sure. And, and and that sounded ludicrous to their ears because, and it was offensive because Yeah. They thought that he was talking about the physical temple, which it was 30 years later. It was yeah. totally destroyed. That's right. But what Jesus was talking about was his own body. Destroy this temple again, and I'll raise it up again in three days. So the point being is, is that what people hear that you say and what you actually said, there is this huge chasm there between the communicator and the receiver. Yeah. This is <clears throat> This is where... Again, we come in full circle to the limits of language. Yeah. That's right. I mean, how many times have I been in meetings and people come up to me after the meeting and they rehearse to me what they thought I said and what they thought I said sure. and what I actually said? I didn't even know what resemble. You know, yeah. I, I wondered if they were even in the same room. Right, right. I, yeah. And, and on some occasions, what they thought I said and what I actually said was actually better than what I said. <laughs> I've, had, I've experienced both those things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So then let's move on. In this manifesto, um, you start with what God is like. Mm-hmm. You go after what good means and you go after what God is like. But then from that place, you begin to go after how to approach scripture. I had a moment in my life where for two years, I, I stopped reading all scripture except the gospels. And I didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody because I lived in, um, in a world where that was wrong. You don't right. do that. The whole Bible is, is the word of God, you know? And so, uh, but I was, I was leaning into who he was and I was leaning into his great affection. I was living from this measureless place. And so I, I removed all scripture and I, and I focused just on the gospels. This was my journey. And I, I really, the best way I can say it is I rediscovered Jesus. I, I, I began yeah. to, I began to see him. Uh, he was always there, but I was getting revelation. And then from there, because I'm not that academic type and it would have probably the books I would have gone to grab wouldn't have helped me anyway, because of the world I was living in from that place of God is love is love is always good. He looks like Jesus. I began to sneak back into scripture mm-hmm. and, uh, and I discovered scripture in a whole new way, Yeah, yeah. Uh, which terrified everybody else around me. But uh, could you speak to, to maybe how you've approached scripture? Yeah. Um, we obviously need more time. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel free to go anywhere you want in this conversation. Yeah. Well, that first question and the reason why that I started with it in the manifesto was because this, this was the kind of conversation I was having with people uh, all around the country in different parts of the world for that matter. Most of the time, these, these conversations took place off the record, so to speak, uh, sure. because uh, you know people were terrified to, sure. to talk about these things. Yeah. And so I start out by talking about what, what is God really like? I, I will, this is not in the manifesto, but it is something that we've taught in the, in the last year or so. Uh, the four most important words in the Bible, in my opinion, are in the beginning God. Uh, and of course that's Genesis chapter one, verse one. So why is that? Why is that so important? Well, again, in my tradition, and this is true of most evangelical Christianity, we attempt to interpret God's ultimate purpose by starting in Genesis chapter three with the fall of man and the depravity of man. And we obsess over the depravity of man and the fall of man, rather than starting with God's original and ultimate intention in the beginning. 
And so, you know, of all the different attributes of God and all the different words that we ascribe to God, you know, John said, God is love. Doesn't say he's like love. Doesn't say he has love. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can use all these other adjectives. You can, you know, you can talk about his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. You can talk about all these various aspects of, of God, but these don't in any way capture his essence. He is love. You reference first John chapter four, that we love God because he first loved us. Yeah. And we have limited our understanding of that as far as I'm concerned, simply yeah. because we think when we hear the word first, we, we relate that it's, it's in a very existential thing. We relate that to the first time we experience God's love. Okay. Yeah. And that is a serious error. Sure. First, uh, what was John talking about? Because he's always borrowing the, the language of creation, isn't he? Yeah. That's right. In his gospel, yeah. in the beginning was the word and the word was God and so on. That's right. Yeah. 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 So he's going back to the creation. That's right. Yeah. The reason why that's so important is that if we start in chapter three, which most people do trying yeah. to understand God and his ultimate tension as it relates to his relationship with humanity, it, to me, it's very much like going to a very, very complicated movie, a movie that has a very complicated plot and you get there a half hour late and you're trying right. to catch up with the characters yeah. and you're going to probably come to wrong conclusions. <laughs> so we need to go to the beginning. Yeah. So when he talked about first love, when was first love demonstrated? Yeah. First love beginning. was demonstrated in Genesis chapter one. Yes. Because God didn't have to create this human species because he was bored with the myriad of angels that had been around his throne for eons, giving him yeah. homage like he's some cosmic egomaniac. The reason why God created the human species, and he didn't create the human species either because he needed custodians on this planet called Earth yeah, to keep, keep it up. Yeah, that's no, good. Because love has to have an object. Love has to manifest itself. Right. It has yeah. to become visible. Yeah. So he creates the human species in his image and his an exact likeness. And I love to make reference to this. It makes people nervous. You know, and, uh, and this, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to impress anybody with language by any means, but there's so much, there's so many anthropomorphic terms that we use in relationship to God. And it comes from the word anthropology, which has yeah. to do with us trying to understand God, not only in terms of our language, but also specifically in terms of gender. All right. So God, the father, he's obviously male. The son is male. Right. right. But the Holy Spirit that is referenced there in Genesis chapter one and consistent to the Old, to the Old Testament is feminine in gender. Yeah. You actually have, and I, I don't have time to unpack all this right now, but you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are not inferior to one another. Yeah. Um, they, they are infinitely pouring into each other because of their equality. And e I mean, when we use the word equality, that's a lame word too. <laughs> And, and, and so it's not good enough, is it? No. So if we're made in his image and in his likeness, then the original idea and concept of a family is found in the Trinity, the father, son, and Holy spirit. Wow. So that's the reason why he creates the human species so that they could procreate in their image in the same way he had created them in his. So what does that have to do with first love? First love is manifested. It's made visible in the material universe, the visible material universe, when God decided to come out of this infinite realm of, in, of being invisible and manifest yeah. himself. This yeah. is love. This is what yeah. first love is. Whew. First love is beautifully pictured in the creation account because when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. Yeah. If you go to 1 John chapter 4, and you look at the word first, that, and you trace that word all the way to the Hebrew, Yeah, it has to do with first in terms of ultimate priority. Wow. It actually is related to breath. Wow, wow. So who, hey, who took the first breath on this planet? 
wasn't Adam. Yeah, my goodness, that's amazing. Unconditional, unconditional love took the first breath on this planet. Wow. He resuscitated yeah. this crown jewel of his creation that was made in his image. <laughs> and when Adam's heart took its first beat and the blood ran to his extremities and his eyes fluttered open, he is looking at the mirror image of who he is. <laughs> that's first love. Wow. That's wow. first love. Wow. Now, yeah, that's the reason why I said we need more time. But so what, what is God really <laughs> like? This, this is the problem. This is the problem that I've encountered uh, in so many different places because people are asking the question, why is God so morbidly violent in the Old Testament? Why is he, why is God, the God of the Old Testament, yeah. malevolent and has this bloodlust and seems to sanction genocide? Sure. Yeah. And infanticide and all these unspeakable acts of brutality. Yeah. And so you're let's, we come back again to the goodness of God and how Jesus, if you see it in Jesus, yeah. then that's the reflection of God. That's right. Now, Hebrews says that God spoke in many different ways through the prophets, but now our upgrade is through his son. Yeah. That's Hebrews chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? See, the cognitive dissonance that is created for a lot of people is they have difficulty harmonizing this Old Testament God yeah. that is so vicious and unpredictable. And Jesus comes along, you know, God 2.0, and says, if you've seen me, you've yeah, seen the Father. Seen. That's right. And everybody is pumping their brakes and saying, you know, what? The, we got a problem here. Did, did God get anger management in the Old Testament? Because <laughs> right, Jesus right. is talking about peace and love yeah, and yeah. reconciliation. Yeah. You know, uh, a guy that I met a few months ago, Brad Jerzak, who I have the utmost respect for, writes beautifully about these these ideas, said, what are we to think about a, uh, of a God of the Bible that seems so unchristlike?" <laughs> <laughs> You know, He's and I would, yeah, yeah, and I would add to that. You know, it probably sounds blasphemous for me to ask this question, but is God bipolar? Is he schizophrenic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, yeah. the answer is obviously no. He's he's not any of those things. That's so, right. what are the things that are influencing? And this gets problematic for a lot of people. Um, what are some of the things? And see, you know, for me, years ago, it was problematic because I was raised again, in a, uh, a faith-based system that emphasized that um, the Bible is infallible and immutable and cannot be questioned. Yep, that's and, me too. Yeah, but still, nobody was answering these difficult questions for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, yeah, that's there, was, yeah. there was this harmony that was there. And so, yeah, do I believe that the Old Testament was inspired? Yes, I do. But I think it's a reflection of how men were evolving in their consciousness over time. You can That's even good. see it. Yeah. You know, in, in, the, in the early books of the Bible, by the time you get especially to the poetic books of the Bible, you have obviously the men that were getting uh, a revelation of the goodness of God because the, you know, the term loving kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Loving kindness. Right. You know, that was a foreign concept, but, you know, so many different people, you know, in the Old Testament were, they, they were evolving. I like what Rene Girard says about this. He says the, the Bible is it's a text in travail. Wow. And, you know, this kind of thing has been extremely helpful for me over the years in understanding that, all right, I don't just throw out the Old Testament. I recognize that it's good. Yeah, you know, this got me in trouble not long ago. I held up my Bible when I was in a in a church, pretty progressive church, and I said, "This is not the Word of God." <laughs> and I was in the Bible Belt when I said that. <laughs> and initially, I said it for shock value, you know. Sure, sure. Initially, I was misunderstood. I said, "No misunderstanding. Yeah. I'm not discounting the value of the Old Testament. I'm just wanting you to understand the Word, uh, which is." you know, this particular statement has been attributed to 
somebody that is very well known in a contemporary sense, but it, it really is much older than people yeah. realize yeah. that Jesus is perfect theology. Yeah. And if I don't see yeah. it, if I can't harmonize it yeah. there. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, even see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he is at it, at actually taking editorial liberty with the Old Testament. He's editing the Old Testament. Right, right. You've heard it said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I probably a lot of, yeah, you've heard it said, but I say said it seven different times. Yeah. So, you know, questioning certain Bible texts, that certainly does elicit fear in a lot of people because they fear the whole house of cards is going to fall. And I, I just don't think that that is the case at all. Yeah. I, I think Pete Enns is the one who says that God let us tell the story. Yep. And uh, I, I think it was Pete. I love Brad. I'm so thankful for him. Um, he's yeah. re reintroduced me to, or introduced me to early church fathers that uh, um, have been just so good. We had him on. Uh, one of the reasons I asked this, and we, and I asked this of a lot of people that we've had on that uh, are so much further down the road and have, and have spent so much time um, unpacking uh, how to approach scripture. And I love, you know, what you're sharing is a little different than what Brad shared, what Chris Green shared. We had Father Kenneth Tanner on. We've got lots of different perspectives. But the, the reason that I'm passionate about it is because I find uh, in the world that I've come from that the thing that will um, keep someone from growing is the Bible. The very, yeah. thing, the, the very thing that will cut them off from growing more aware. I, I say it this way. When Jesus showed up on the road to Emmaus, he felt that the best way to reveal himself was to not be there in, in, in his own body. Like the best way to reveal that God had, had risen from the dead was to hide the, the fact from their eyes. So he'd get to their hearts. Yeah. And, and then of course he used scripture to unpack it. Right. But yeah. the, the, I feel like often the Bible has, is, is in the world I come from, it's almost like it is the largest um, roadblock uh, because of how we've understood how to read it, because of how we've been taught how to approach it, it's the, almost it's like the largest roadblock to actually growing in our faith. And mm -hmm. how how absurd is that? So it's one of my passions that 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 we can talk about how to approach Scripture. For me, um, again, because of how I'm wired, the best I could do was Jesus. I'd heard the phrase from Bill Johnson: "Jesus is perfect theology." That was 15 years ago. That phrase set me free because it's common sense. It's not rocket science. When you hear it and you grow up and yep. you go, right, of course he is. Right. Well, how have I missed this <laughs> my whole life? How have I missed? But from there, Jesus's perfect theology set me free to go, okay, everywhere I go in my life, I can, I, 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 I now have this growing revelation of what Jesus is like to, to, um, to, to sit back upon to mm -hmm. to filter everything through and it actually yeah. became my if you will he became my hermeneutic even on how mm -hmm. i approach scripture is that is that um am i capturing what you've what, what's on your heart yeah yeah ab absolutely um you know you reference to the emmaus road um it says there in luke it says that beginning with moses and the prophets that he expounded to them all these things concerning himself and I've always thought that was rather comical. Uh, and the reason being is that here <laughs> is the word himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Begins with Moses and the prophets. It's a seven-mile walk, approximate seven-mile yeah, walk. Yeah, that's right. From Jerusalem, uh, man, I would yes. love to have heard that teaching. Man, yeah. <laughs> but they, but they, still, they still couldn't see it. Their eyes, you know, in the old King James, says their eyes were holding. And... I see for me, I think a lot of this in, in a relevant contemporary sense is realizing that there's different kinds of blindness Yeah, and that most of us are blind to what we're blind to. That's it. Yeah. And so we, we are able to see basically what we're prepared to see. And so yeah. when Jesus yeah. appeared to them, he appeared in a form that was foreign to them. Yeah. They weren't prepared to see him. They weren't prepared to see him. And no yeah. matter how much he taught them. Yeah. Beginning with Moses and the prophets and all those things concerning him, they still couldn't see it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
And so their eyes were open, of course, and that this is a subject for another time, but yeah. their eyes yeah. were open in the breaking of bread. It, it happened in the sacrament. It happened in the Eucharist. Wow. wow. Uh, again, that's something for a, another yeah, conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, one, one thing that he did that I think also clued them in, it said he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Well, have you ever noticed in every time that Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, yeah. he always followed the same sequence. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and multiplied wow. it. Wow, that's good. And, and so, um, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, I, so I, I just feel like that people need permission yeah, to know the, that yeah. the Bible is not an end in itself. That's not saying that we're showing irreverence for the Bible. That's not sacrilegious language. It's, it's not an end in itself. The Bible's not God. The Bible's not the object of our faith. Well, That's let good. that just ring. Yeah. You know, the Bible's yeah. not the object of our faith. Jesus is. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. value of the Bible is that the Word of God always directs us to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's good. Always. Yeah, that would be how I approach all scripture at this point. All, all, all I'm doing is I'm looking for Jesus mm -hmm. uh, wherever I go. I, um, I, love, I, I love this conversation. I love, um, uh, we started out with communication. I, I just bring up the Emmaus Road. For me, I, I use that, you know, I'm a writer. Uh, that's, well, I've written some of my own things, but I also write for other people. And so I, fascinated by language and and so sometimes when i'll teach on writing I, I, and especially if it's in a christian circle i'll use the emmaus road uh because for me um jesus is the best communicator god is the best communicator on the planet he's, mm -hmm. he's the best at everything but yeah but uh in this in this context he's the best communicator and as as a communicator he understood that sometimes um, you, you have to hide one thing to reveal something else. Like he understood that, that their eyes there, this would have gotten in their cognitive mathematical thinking would have gotten in the way of the revelation that was later what they referred to as hearts burning. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, what's, what's even more profound is as their eyes are opened, it says he disappeared from their sight. And, right. and I look at that and, and I chuckle, I think. Why? Because he understood that, that they got it here mm -hmm. and anything else here, it would have gotten in the way of what they just got no hold of here. Absolutely. But I love what you can learn about a communicator uh, on that journey. I, I can't remember who it was that said this, but uh, the statement was, and, and this was really good for me, it was uh, a reality check because I'm very analytical. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think, um, contrary to most, what most people might think, I do think very deeply. Uh, it can be both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, but this statement, I wish I could remember, at any rate, the statement was made, I would rather have a heart that makes love than a mind that makes sense. Man, that's so good. And that's where I found myself. I, that's, I'd rather have a heart that makes love than a mind that makes sense because my heart, our hearts can understand far more than our minds will ever apprehend, much less comprehend. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when you were in your mother's womb, the first thing that became active was not your brain. It was your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. And it's, it's, it's this, and I'm going to quote you here. Maybe we can kind of track this down for a minute and then we can wrap up. But in light of what you were just saying, the gospel, you said this, the gospel has, and I wanted to get this quote in, the gospel has also been hijacked by Western thought, by intellectualization, discounting the element of mystery. Mm -hmm. The West has sought to remove all traces of mystery and un unknowing from the gospel. And this has kind of been the conversation we've had, but it, it, what was happening, that was what was happening on the road. I, I think Western culture 
can't even understand why God would hide himself when the whole point of the, the message was that he's risen. Yep. And yet there was a mystery that he, he, I think you're right, they couldn't see what they weren't looking for. But there was also this element of mystery that had to be stewarded in their heart. They had to be open to something in their heart that would recognize. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've lost that mystery. Could you speak to that? Yeah. Um, when we go back, you know, to the first 100, 200 years after the ascension of Jesus, things were already beginning uh, to come into play. It, it really began to gain traction uh, about 300 years after. Um, but the early church fathers, they embraced mystery. They weren't obsessed with certainty. Yeah. Like, you know, organized religion became. Uh, and of course, this is why patristic theology or, you know, the, the faith of our fathers, the early church fathers has been so important for me now more than ever before because I'm discovering things about the character of God, the nature of God, even about heaven and hell, yeah. penal substitution, yeah. Yeah. you know, you know, all yeah. those kinds of things. But as I understand it, and I, I'm open to correction, as I understand it, as things began to become a little more rigid and more codified in those first three centuries, um, and there was an element of people that began to recognize that. And these are the ones that basically left the confines of what Christianity was becoming and were known as the desert fathers and mothers because they understood the value of mystery. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to regress too much here, but um, earlier when you were talking, I couldn't help but think about, one of the great passages in the book of Proverbs, which I think applies to principles of interpretation. I always go there when I'm teaching in schools. In Proverbs 25, it said, is the glory of God to conceal a matter, <laughs> yeah. but the yeah. honor of kings to search that search matter out. out. Yeah. And for 35 years, I've been saying that God does not conceal anything from us, but he does conceal it wow. for us. Yeah, wow. And so, uh, there is great value to mystery. And yeah. I, you know, I personally believe um, that when mystery is, when the element of mystery is taken out of any relationship, that relationship is doomed. Wow. My wife and I just celebrated 42 years of <laughs> life together. And even though we know each other so well and we complete yeah. one another's sentences. And I, and I hope that if you, if, if the old saying is true that you, you start looking like your spouse after a while, I sure hope I'm starting to look like her and not the other way around. Right. Right. Uh, but I still, I still live in this mystery of, of this fascinating human, this, uh, this woman who's made in the image of wow. God. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think that same thing is true, not only on a horizontal level, but a vertical level. Yeah. When mystery is taken out. The relationship is doomed. And, um, in fact, I believe that one of the reasons why, you know, one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us is mystery, because if he'd not given us mystery, then, uh, we would be doomed to living a monotonous yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah. antidote yeah. to wow. living in monotony is yeah. mystery. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we, we could uh, say a lot more about mystery, but. It, it's it's so very important. It was in it was at the headwaters of our belief system. Those that were in closest proximity in terms of years to Jesus, the apostles, yeah. and then you know, then the early church fathers, and they talk about that. Yeah, you wow. Know, they 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 talk about the need for mystery. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And when you unravel a mystery, there's nothing that's more exciting, nothing more. Uh, I, well, I'll use Bill Johnson tells the story of, of, uh, of imagine it, uh, you know, when you have a two-year-old and you hide the Easter eggs mm -hmm. um, and uh, the joy of finding the Easter eggs, you know, yeah. and of course he takes that analogy to it. You know, the older they get, the, the harder you hide the egg because you're creating 
uh, something for them to search out, to discover, because there's some sort of joy that is innately built into us in the discovery. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is why, you know, uh, in uh, I think it's in Buddhism, they talk about the importance of having the beginner's mind. That's good. And so you think about it, I, I think I mentioned some of this in the manifesto, that when a child is born, they arrive here with a brain that is shaped like a question mark. <laughs> and That's the older they get, they incessantly ask questions. Yeah, yeah. But what happens is over time, unintentionally, as their parents, we drive that curiosity out of them and we put them in systems that teach them what the answers are. Yeah. Rather than, and so that's, that's something I, I ask for often. I want the beginner's mind. I want to be Thank born again over and over and over yeah. and over and over again. And Jesus, you know, beautifully deals with this. And what's Matthew 20, when the disciples came to him and there's all this, um, you know, all this hubris and they're asking him a question, Who, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And I'm sure, yeah. you know, they were yeah. all poised, you know, well, Peter's probably thinking it's going to be me because I've walked on water and I was yeah. one that had yeah. revelation. He's the Christ, <laughs> the Son of the living God. John's probably thinking it's going to be him because, you know, I'm the one that's always leaning on his breast and, and I'm sure. the one that really understands. No. And Jesus, it's almost like he ignored them, you know, and he yeah. suggested for a child, not just a child, a small child. And he says, unless you become converted, man, that's how good. expensive that must have been. You're not even converted. These are the guys <laughs> that had front row seats at all the meetings, right? Yeah. Unless you become converted and become like wow. this little child, you'll never experience the kingdom of God. That's it. Wow. And, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I want to remain. The Amen. older I get, I don't want to be arthritic in my thinking. Hmm. I refuse to allow myself, you know, to uh, be confined. And, and, if, and if people tell me, you know, that I, I'm going too far, uh, quite honestly, that's an indication to me I'm going probably in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I, uh, I got to about three of the five questions that uh, we'll get to maybe another time. We'll have you speak about grace and, and the church and what, what this means. But I really do feel like we, we, we came full circle there at the end um, yeah. from where we started uh, questioning my answers. I mean, that is, I, man, I want to, I want to remain like a child. I want that question mark as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think there's, yeah. I just think there's so much transformation. Well, personally, the greatest transformation in my life has been, has been putting my, my foundations in Jesus is what God is like. Yeah. And, and then from there, I, I get to spend eternity uh, becoming more amazed by how good he is and growing yeah. in this, in this measureless revelation and more, Absolutely. more, more amazed today than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And the fruit of this journey in my personal life and my, my, my relationship with my family, with my kids, uh, it was, it's, it's the good news. It's called the good news for a reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I'm so, so thankful that you're here. Um, I didn't ask you about tacos, man. I, I, I mean, are you a taco guy? I am. Uh, my preference are fish tacos. Yeah. You're on the coast. That makes sense. Yeah. What kind like, of what, what, what fish would you would you go with? Oh, usually it's mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, sometimes I'll venture out and I'll let them put shrimp in there or something like that. Yeah. That's awesome. You make them, or you guys got a place? No, no. We've never done that here at the house. Yeah. We usually that's something that we <laughs> do when we go out. Yeah. I, uh, we called it rethinking God with tacos just so that people wouldn't think we were too heady or too out there. But I also learned years ago that, that, uh, that, uh, sometimes when you go somewhere and you speak, if you, if people know you like something, then they'll take you out to that thing. So, yeah. So, uh, I've gotten a few tacos out of this uh, yeah. over the, over the last several months, but man, I appreciate you. Where, where can we find you? Well, on Instagram, the Randall Worley. I, I don't mean for that to sound pretentious. That was not my choice. That was my staff. That did that. 
<laughs> I guess there's another one out there. <laughs> uh, and then our, our website is just simply Rand, Uh We have um, a Facebook page as well. Yeah. They can find us there. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't even remember that account quite honestly right now because we'll I'm, like I'm, it. Very, I'm very seldom on Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Uh, right. We, we spend most of our time. We post content I think almost every day on Instagram. Yeah. 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 I was with you a couple of weeks ago, uh, on, on there and have spent time watching lots of different interviews, lots of really amazing and encouraging stuff there too. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Thomas couldn't be here and, and, uh, I'm hoping he's feeling better, but, uh, we're sure grateful. Uh, and I'm sure grateful to spend some time with you and, and I'd love to have you on again at some point and, Oh, it's been fun. Thanks. I also want to say, questioning my answers, uh, a manifesto for spiritual searchers, which was a lot of where we went today, is is on your website and is free, uh, a free download. You mentioned that, but I highly, highly recommend downloading that. But uh, thank you, Randall. I'm I'm grateful, grateful to Stay have you. Stay here, on. man. All right. We'll be in touch. Sounds good. Bless you, uh, man. Peace. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it encouraged. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. If you guys want to subscribe to this podcast, please do. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. Anywhere you might listen and, to podcasts. And leave a review. Also, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, um, you can go uh, to, uh, I know this man has a Twitter account. Uh, we both do. 160 followers. Nice. It's very active. It's about to skyrocket. Um, and if you want to find us uh, online, we're at afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org. Also, you can reach me there if you want to get a hold of us for any reason at uh, jason at afamilystory.org. We're excited that you guys are on this journey with us, and we look forward to releasing more content. Yep. Thanks. See you.